Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Catherine Ingram. Kate's a life transitions coach, counselor, speaker, and writer who's passionate about helping people discover joy and meaning through the tough stuff of life. Her father's death when she was eight and the loss of her husband in a plane crash were the catalysts that inspired her exploration of depth psychology and spiritual wisdom traditions, Taoism in particular. Kate received degrees from Northwestern University, the University of San Francisco, and did doctoral work at Pacifica Graduate Institute. She's the award-winning author of Washing the Bones, a memoir of love, loss, and transformation, as well as the Grab and Go Grief Kit, a practical workbook for helping you understand, navigate, and heal your grief. Her newest book is Grief Girl's Guide, How to Grieve, Why You Should, and What's in It for You. In addition to her writing and private practice, she's the creator of Soul Matters Live, a popular monthly salon exploring ways to live a more joyful, meaningful life. Welcome, Catherine. Oh, thank you, Cheryl. It's so nice to be back with you. Really nice to have you back again. As we were just discussing before we went in on, it's been almost exactly six years yes. since you came to my show to talk about uh, washing the bones. Um, but I still remember the conversation and the book very vividly, and I'm, I'm happy to have you back today. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be here. One thing that makes me happy to um, have you back is that I've been thinking a lot. My my first wife, uh, who was the inspiration for all the grief work that I do, really, the her illness and death mm-hmm. and my grief um, is sort of at the center of all this. Um, she's been dead 25 years now. Just this past October was 25 years. And it's caused me to be thinking a lot about grief over time mm-hmm. uh, and the ways that these experiences wind themselves and loop themselves into our lives. So I'm always happy to check back in with with someone. Obviously, you've written two books and done a lot of stuff (laughs) since we last met. But uh, could we sort of start with your own losses um, and how that has unwound for you over time, what what you've noticed about lifelong... um, relationships to our losses? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I mark the beginning of my journey with my father's death, as you mentioned in your introduction. Um, my father died very suddenly and dramatically on Christmas Eve when I was eight and a half years old. Uh, he had a massive cerebral hemorrhage at 52 and was just gone within hours. And that, uh, that event completely changed uh, the the trajectory of my life, undoubtedly, as I look back now, um, because at that point, 
my world was so shaken in every way. And what I became aware of later as an adult was that uh, there was no grief. Uh, there was really no grieving process around my father's death. I mean, he, we cry, I cried and it was sad and we buried his ashes on our property. And I went back to school after the Christmas break. And that was that. Um, you know, there was no counseling at that time in that we had no uh, service, you know, religious service. We had no kind of morning rituals. We didn't have a lot of family around. It was just so quiet and not a lot of discussion um, with my mother at the time. So what happened was my grief went underground. And again, I didn't know this was happening at the time, of course, only in retrospect, but my grief really went underground and it started to emerge later in life through a variety of other kind of symptoms, you could say, you know, uh, depression, anxiety, eating disorder, um, a real loss of uh, direction in my life. I really had no idea, although as an excellent student, very high functioning person, and I looked great on the outside, um, I really was lost. I had uh, lost all my moorings. And uh, once I got into college, although I did well in school, I just, I had no idea what I was doing there, what I was interested in. I had really no connection to myself. And I directly relate that to grief or rather the lack of grief, because uh, without that grief process of metabolizing the sadness and the meaning and being able to work through my father's death, I was pulled so uh, far away from myself, from my heart. I was just in fear all the time, and I didn't quite realize that. Mm. As I say, I was a very high-functioning person. But if I fast forward a bit now, um, after having a really disastrous, uh, abusive marriage and divorce and going through that loss and that grief, I met my uh, now late husband, um, had a wonderful experience. It was just, uh, you know, almost fairy tale. And then he was killed eight months after we were married in a plane crash. He was a pilot. And it was then that my grief really broke open. And I was in such horrible trauma from my husband's uh, death. And then I realized it had also reopened the loss of my father. And I really found myself grieving in a sense for the first time, the loss of my father and my husband. And uh, I was really, I was really thrown for a loop for probably a good two years with that grief. You know, that does, uh, one thing that happens in grief over time is, one thing that stands out there is it's never too late, right? Never too late. <laughs> it, it got broken open later, but, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, you couldn't have predicted that. There's a, there's a, a paragraph from your book that really directly relates to this. You, you say, I did not grieve when my father died. None of my family really did. We removed this, this sentence, hurt my heart. We removed and unwrapped the Christmas gifts we had put under the tree for him. And we had a somber Christmas day. Some days later, 
We buried his ashes down by the creek on our property, and then I went back to school. That was it. I know that I cried. I know that my mother was sad, but there was no ritual, no overt mourning, no talks about what had happened or why or what it meant. We had no service or memorial, which does sometimes happen, right? There was no counseling or discussion at school. There was, however, a most unfortunate and traumatic field trip my third grade class made to a funeral home and and on and on in that vein uh and it and it connects with uh something you say in the book too it takes a village and we don't have one Mm. Um, because i didn't (laughs) what's that i certainly didn't have a village i know exactly that's exactly what i was thinking that um that could have been a teachable moment for for them for your classmates and your class and your team and uh, of a, um, an experience of being held for you, but instead it's an experience of alienation and, and uh, aloneness. Yeah. And, and yeah. that directly relates to people not being able to handle it, doesn't it? It does. It does. Although I did have, I, I had a very kind third grade teacher, but I, you know, when you say teachable moment, I don't think that phrase existed in 1972. <laughs> um, Perhaps and, not. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a 24 year period between losing my father and losing my husband. I was a, a, a young widow. I was 32 when my husband was killed. But at that time, I was also, I had just finished graduate school in psychology, um, just finished all my, my interning. And so I had a little bit of something under my belt. Um, I had a little bit of psychology and I had a little bit of spirituality in there that I didn't have when I was eight. Um, and I'm not saying that that saved me, but... Um, what I did have was reflective ability. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the depths of my grief, um, I was able to, to sit down and do for myself, uh, to some degree, and with the help of a uh, counselor as well, the work that I didn't receive when I was a little girl. So it was an opportunity as you say, and as I say in my book, you know, the grief doesn't go away. If you don't have a grieving process, that grief doesn't just dissipate. It doesn't just float away. It stays in you. It generally stays in your body. It stays in your psyche. And it's there. It waits. And um, it was an opportunity then when I was 32 and widowed um, for a great deal of pain, of course, but also some healing to begin. It's interesting what you say that, uh, similar to you, I, I always, already was very interested in, uh, I was actually training to be a counselor when my, when my wife got sick, um, already drawn to that from much less, I guess, much less out of control losses. Uh, for instance, coming out and being, being sort of alienated from family and all that, big event, right, or breakups. Um there was a draw to psychology, and I, I would say I had some, some uh, clues about how to deal with myself, <laughs> but that didn't mean I had, had that much information about how to carry myself through a big, big loss, mm-hmm. uh, like the loss of a spouse. 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that you might have been drawn to psychology and the and the desire to un- kind of understand yourself by your early loss, or were those two kind of separate things for you? I don't believe anything separate. So <laughs> on, the, on the surface, it wasn't um, a clear A to B. It wasn't, you know, gosh, I lost my father, and that was so hard. I think I'll try to understand these things, and I'll go to school in psychology. It wasn't clear like that, but I was definitely drawn to psychology. Um, and particularly a more spiritual psychology. Um, So the answer to your question is, I think it was unconscious, but purposeful. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't know why we're drawn to what we're drawn to. (laughs) I I had my surface reasons, but, um, but that was all I was conscious of at the time. Because, you know, when I went to school to study psychology, um, I still had not unearthed my grief. Mm. So I really wasn't aware. And I think it's getting better. But uh, in my graduate school experience, I would not say I got any training about grief. I got it elsewhere. Yeah, you're right. I got got none. I got zero, you know, as if somehow the biggest thing that happens to people isn't a part of psychology, right? (laughs) But but I think that uh, I think it is changing. I want to say that I do think it is changing. But just that very idea that there's you're required to take all of these different courses, but you're not required to have any knowledge about grief. Mm-hmm. As, a, as, a, as a therapist, mm-hmm. I've had several clients come to me having had to leave their therapist because in the middle of therapy, they had a huge loss mm. and the therapist couldn't hold it. That's amazing and awful. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, every time that happens, it's so heartbreaking. So You know, you're, really- you're right. And I, you know, uh, honestly, uh, graduate school is... <laughs> It doesn't, uh, the work that you do studying psychology in graduate school bears very little resemblance to the work that I have done. I'll just speak for myself, that I have done as a counselor, you know, in real life. Um, But, yeah, but I, and I I hear what you're saying, and it's just awful that there isn't more to talk about grief. That's part of the reason I wrote my, the book that I just published is because there is just, there's such a desperate need for a better understanding and um, acceptance and embracing of grief. And the ironic thing is that most people who come in to talk to a counselor or therapist are there with some sort of loss. Absolutely. Some sort of maybe, loss. Every, maybe you know, even 100%. <laughs> or 100%. It's, if it's not an, a literal death, it's a divorce, it's an illness, it's a job change, it's uh, aging, it's... Um, you know, an empty nest, it's retirement, it's aging, it's all kinds of loss, you know, and so I'm hoping that that the, the climate is changing. And relevant to that, um, you know, I, I feel some of my very early therapy that I was in as a client was really about how to feel better. And you 
you say in your book, grief is an abduction. It is an unbidden, uncontrollable force that takes you over body and soul and leads you through dark and diff- difficult terrain. Um, it, it is an ordeal. It stays with you and dogs your every move and every attempt to outsmart it. And I think if, you're, if your point of view is to make, help the person feel better, it's very, very hard to go with that, um, <laughs> you know, to kind of say, this is all normal. I, I feel a lot of what I end up doing is, is talking to people about how that out of control, you know, as you say, Mr. Toad's wild ride feeling yes. is, that's grief. Yes. Do you, do you have that experience too, that I, people I kind do. of don't I expect do. that, you know? <laughs> I absolutely do. And there there are all kinds of misconceptions and wishes out there when you are hurting and you're in terrible grief. um, You want not to be there. And that's, that's, that's normal that of course you don't want to be in that kind of pain, but, but my feeling Cheryl is that most of the pain comes from um, a lack of understanding um, about how normal, as you say, to be able to, to tell somebody who's in that terrible pain, yes, this is grief. And mm-hmm. what you're feeling is normal. It's okay. I know it doesn't feel okay, but the process is okay. What you're doing is right on track and it's going to shift in time. And if you, if you continue to do this, if you continue to express and have your experience, this is going to shift and soften, I guarantee it. And that is a great comfort. It isn't about saying getting the person out of their pain or getting yourself out of the pain. You can acknowledge that that's what you'd like to do. But, the, <laughs> yes. but you know, the other thing I tell clients, Cheryl, is that you know, your grief is your love. You are Grief is an aspect of love. And if you love this person, of course you're going to have grief. Of course you're going to have grief. Absolutely. It's time for a break, but uh, my version of that is is, uh, something like, I would really worry about you if you lost this important person and you weren't feeling terrible. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, and you can find Catherine Ingram at Catherine, K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, Ingram, I-N-G-R-A-M.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. 
This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Catherine. Ingram, author of Grief Girl's Guide, as uh, actually her third book, and that's the one we're mostly talking about today. You know, you can I can always tell a guidebook that's been written by someone who's had deep grief and gone through it, um, because there's an emotional quality to it. It doesn't feel like uh, I'm just going to tell you what to do. You know, <laughs> so I appreciate that because there are people who so resonate with with guidebooks, right? Yeah. Um, I I um, sometimes do, and sometimes I don't, right? <laughs> yeah. um, memoir always, almost always gets me, uh, but I think that's because I'm sort of narratively oriented as a person, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, can you talk about um, what? inclined you towards what led you to want to create a guidebook mm-hmm. uh, Cheryl it was something that I had would sort of had on the back burner the thought was just hanging out with me over time as I would meet with clients I would uh, of course I noticed that I was talking with people about loss much of the time in mm-hmm. one form or another and um, I noticed a couple of other things, too. Uh, what seemed to be um, universally what was showing up for me was people not understanding the grief process. They just they didn't know uh, what to expect. They didn't know what was normal. Uh, they didn't know if they were crazy. They didn't know if there was something wrong with them or they should take drugs. Um, they, I would hear the same things over and over. And... Um, and I would also hear from clients that uh, other people were not comfortable with them, that didn't know what to say to them. It was just the same story. And, and oftentimes I would think, you know, gosh, I, I wish I should just put down everything I know <laughs> into a little, you know, a little book and say here. Um, but it was just a, a light thought that I, that I carried um, and then I'll tell you the honest to God truth. Um, one day I was walking into my kitchen and not thinking about anything deep or particular. And I just had an inspiration that completely dropped into my head. 
And I stopped and I thought, I better write this down. And I grabbed a piece of paper and a pencil and I stood at my kitchen counter. And in about 15 minutes, I had written three pages just flowed out of me. Um, that is the introduction to my book. And it was so striking to me even that it was um, as though I had channeled it. And I looked at it and I said, well, I guess that's the outline to my book. I guess I know what I'm going to write now. Um, I, I'm so glad I asked you because that, that so resonates with, with a pattern I've noticed in all these guests who are here to talk about loss and transformation, that there are these epiphanous moments that mm -hmm. seem a lot more available to people who have learned how to not know the answer, <laughs> I guess is what, yeah, that's an epiphany, isn't it? Mm. I need to write this down. You know, you didn't decide to do it so much as it decided to take you. Absolutely. Oh, I, I, that's, that's 100% correct. Um, so although I had these ideas and that was coming from my, my personality, my Kate self saying, well, you know, I could put this stuff down. But the inspiration, and it was literally an inspiration because it just breathed itself into me, came from something else. I would call that something spirit. Um, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. It's just was, it was not me. It was something else. And it felt very clear, very directive. And I, I didn't really change one word in the introduction. That's as it, that's as it came to me. So um, I knew it was just time and that I was being asked to write it. And so I, uh, then I just sat down and I wrote um, everything that I knew that I felt was relevant, both from my personal experience, um, my professional experience, my spiritual thoughts. And the one thing I, uh, that was very important to me, uh, Cheryl, very important to me, was that this not be a somber, serious book. Although it is a very serious topic um, that I treat with respect and dignity, um, it, I didn't want it to be that, you know, quiet, hushed tones that we get around grief because mm -hmm. I just believe so strongly that it does not need to be that and in fact should not be that because grief is a part of life. It is a normal part of life. Although in this country, we don't like to acknowledge that it is true nonetheless. And Absolutely. I had looked at so many books when I was, you know, widowed, I had people gave me books, which they do. And you look at books and you grab things and you try to get a little, you know, a, some kind of rope to hang on to. And I knew that I didn't want to write a religious book. Uh, it wasn't going to be a life after death book. It wasn't going to be a clinical book. I wanted it to be as much me as you would get if, if you were my best friend and you just had a loss and I walk over to your house. I want it to be like that. Mm -hmm. You know, your best friend who cares about you and also knows some stuff and can, and can be with you. Practical, short. You could read different parts of it at different yeah. times. <laughs> you know, those are the things that books I resonate with tend to have in common. <laughs> yeah. I wanted it to be personal, to be real, to be easy to read, 
and to be inviting. And one of my one of my friends who lost her father as I was writing it, she was reading my manuscript, and she said the best thing I could have heard, which was, it felt really inviting. It's mm-hmm. like I actually wanted to read it, and I thought, well, bingo, because I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. Yeah, and to your point about it, um, it doesn't need to be somber. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's interesting that over the 25 years, uh, you know, people don't tend to mention gratitude as one of the feelings that can be had in grief. Yes. Uh, but I had a lot of gratitude right away for mm-hmm. having loved this person and all the experiences we had together. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was a big part for me. But, of course, there was all the other parts, too. Yes. Um, Yes. And and yet, because we had actively practiced allowing whatever was going on to go on for mm-hmm. almost a decade, I did not find grief horrible at all. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. In fact, there were beautiful, wonderful parts of it, mm. which is a weird thing to say. But it had to do with, for instance... Uh, if tears happened, and that's how it was, it wasn't me deciding to cry, you know, <laughs> it was right. tears happened. Um, I just went with it. If I wanted to do something in particular, I just went with it. And so you say at one point, needless suffering is suffering we create by being in resistance to what is. Mm-hmm. That part I didn't add. And I feel very lucky about that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you were flowing, what I call flowing. You were flowing with it. You weren't, you were just allowing it. You were allowing it to happen. You weren't resisting it. You weren't afraid of it. You weren't running away from it. You were just letting uh, it happen. You know what, uh, Catherine, it honestly felt like an honor. Mm. Is that a weird thing to say? Beautiful. But that's, that's particular to my experience. Um. Mm-hmm. you know, for many detailed reasons we don't need need to go into, but I was ready. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was ready in some way that um, was very, very surprising to me. Mm-hmm. But um, I like to put that in because people can actually practice for loss, which doesn't mean they won't have all the feelings. It just means they might be able to stick with themselves a little more. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, you know, and I, I think that's one of the the main things that I would want to share with your listeners or with anyone who, who's going through loss or reads my book is that it's so it's it's so important to be able to have that experience of the love and the grief and let it flow together and that you don't have to be afraid of that. You don't have to be afraid of that deep feeling. And the second piece of that is knowing, you know, to know how important grief is for healing. It's absolutely vital for healing. You, if you don't grieve, you don't heal. It's really that simple. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just on the, the physical sort of human level. But if you take it to the next level, grief is some such a powerful um, beautiful experience of uh, that opens a door into something larger in our lives. It opens the door to a deeper connection with yourself, 
and I, I, I would say self with the capital S, your, your soul self. Deeper self. <laughs> it, it opens the door to a deeper connection with other people because you have been impacted and you can relate to people and you can understand them on a very deep soulful level. And it brings out qualities in us that I call the gifts in grief that are blessings to have in relationship with other people. And some of those gifts, for instance, include kindness and presence and gratitude and appreciation. And the third door that grief opens is to have a greater connection with spirit or God or, um, you know, the force or whatever, however you want to. Whatever is uh, bigger than us. (laughs) To something, to the ineffable, to something that is larger than beyond our five sensory capacity. And grief has the capacity to open all of those connections. It is, and that is what makes it beautiful because it takes us deep into what is real, what is important, what is eternal. It invites us to ask the bigger questions of what is this all about and what is the meaning in this and what is really important to me in this life. You know, I, I just think that's one of the most powerful things that happens with the impact of, of a loss is it takes us out of the superficial. Mm-hmm. It takes us out and away from the things that really aren't that important. You know, if your coffee wasn't hot enough this morning or you're in traffic or, you know, you just had a, a rotten day at work, all of it takes on a whole new perspective when you have real loss. Isn't that true? I think we're I think we're right on the edge of this idea you talk about, which I enjoyed. Um, all caps, really good questions. Yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, let me just share a little bit. Really good questions can arise when you're present, open, and receptive. Uh, we'll 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 backtrack a minute later into some things that get in the way of that. But once we're already there, which are precisely the qualities that come from practicing the equation. And the equation being awareness plus non-judgment equals transformation, which I also also like. Um, asking some really good questions with an open mind and heart is what carries you out of the depths of despair and into a meaningful conversation with life. One really good question you can ask yourself as you're working your way through profound sadness and loss is, what if this event were meaningful? Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that the way you phrase that, what if this event were meaningful, because sometimes it it feels a sort of like a sort of assault on ourselves. Um, you know, if someone says you're going to get meaning out of this or what's the meaning, it can feel kind of um, uh, off with grief, right? Mm-hmm. But if you say, um, what if this were meaningful? There's a, there's a kind of open quality to it. It's just a question. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't assume anything. And I, I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. And I think you're, you're mentioning something so important, Cheryl, is the last thing I would ever want to do to anybody is tell them, you know, some, some of the horrible platitudes that any of us who have gone through loss have heard. Yes, many times over, huh? <laughs> but, but, you know, they're with God now and they're in a better place and, uh, you know, that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And while that may all be true, that's very unhelpful. And well, and 
Yeah, sometimes I want to say timing is everything. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to ward off someone's where they are with those kind of statements, they're just completely unhelpful. That's right. So, you know, I don't assume any spiritual anything with anybody. Um, But that question, that question can be spiritual, but it doesn't need to be. Um, You know, what if this is meaningful in some way? And what I say as I go on in in that particular part of the book is this is a question that is not meant to be answered in the next breath. This is a question and really good questions are questions that you sit with, you know, as we like to say in therapy, sit with it, Um, that you, you just ask it and you just wonder. You just open yourself, you open your mind. Instead of saying, for instance, you know, a lot of people said, um, when my husband was killed, he was 30. And people would say it just wasn't his time. And I, I never responded to that directly. But in my mind, I would think, well, that's ridiculous. It obviously was. His time. <laughs> obviously, because it's happened. It's time because it happened. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, now, I don't understand that, but I'm just a little human being. But if I assume that uh, there are no accidents, which I do, then I assume that this had all kinds of different meanings for all kinds of people because my husband's life didn't just touch my life, it touched a whole lot of other people's lives as well. Um, and they're all going through that experience of wondering about that loss. Mm-hmm. It's just opening your mind and your heart to the wonder. It is not, it's the opposite of closing down. It's the opposite of saying, this is horrible. It's meaningless. Um, my life is over, et cetera, et cetera. Now I, I felt those things a few times. Of, definitely, <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, but my predominant, feeling was I knew there was something in this and it was a number of months after he was killed I found myself sitting in our old favorite coffee shop and with my journal and I was just in the depths of despair and I sat down and I wrote something good must come from this Hmm. and that was a manifesto for me something good must come must come up from this you know uh I don't I don't think this way very much, but our conversation is reminding me that early on in my life as a therapist, you know, that um that idea, if I could put one quality in a in a magic jar and give it to all my clients, what it would what would it be? And I used to muse that a lot. Um and what I came up with eventually was the quality of believing that you can learn something from hard times. From, from difficult experiences, which, of course, to me is meaning-making. Yes. <laughs> so that's sort of my bottom line on the whole thing, no matter what you come for. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> let's, can- take, let's take another break and come back to that in a minute. Uh, okay. You can find me, listeners, at weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief host page. There's links to everything, including my, my book as well. And to find Catherine Ingram, go to catherineingram.com. Be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Catherine Ingram, author of The Grief Girl's Guide. And um, I just I just wanted to uh, complete the loop on the things that tend to get in the way of this this sense of moving towards meaning through grief and towards meaning things like uh, familiar you know fight flight freeze mm-hmm. uh, I recently had a guest who added one to my repertoire she didn't make it up but I'd never heard it te- um, tend and befriend uh, oh, yes <laughs> which which uh, I, I I relate to the idea of, of kind of trying to make everything be okay. That's <laughs> how I want to sum it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you contrast that with what we're, we've been talking about, which is flow. Yes. Um, just staying with what is and assuming it will take you somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes? Yes. Is that uh, how you see it? Uh, yes. Uh, flow is being able to allow your feelings and your thoughts to arise without judging them. That's why I, I put in this, the little equation piece, the little formula in the book, which you mentioned, and I'll repeat, which is acceptance plus non-judgment equals transformation. That's huge. I mean, you could spend it, it an is. entire life trying to uh, work toward perfection of this, uh, that the acceptance of something, and again, just to reiterate that acceptance isn't that it's all wonderful and fine. Acceptance is just acknowledging the reality. You know, I've had on my mind today a teacher of mine. His name was Dick Olney. He died a year before my wife did, so a long time ago. But he's, he's a part of my makeup. And um, he, would, he would talk about... Um, he invented something or, or developed something called self-acceptance training that connects to what we're talking about, which was um, experiencing yourself in the moment without the inhibition of self-judgment, self-criticism, or self-evaluation, yes. mm-hmm. uh, which, which I think is a pretty good definition of awareness. Yes. Um, just being. <laughs> uh, and, and it's magical. I mean, once we're doing that, it does just lead to the next place. We're, we're, flow, we're, we're a flow. We are a flow. The flow, the acceptance plus the non-judgment. Now, that's very simple, but it's not easy because we have trained ourselves, all of us, 
to be full of all kinds of judgments and beliefs about what is and is not okay, what is and is not acceptable, uh, what is and is not possible. Um, so to, to suspend that, particularly in grief, to be able to say, for instance, you know, today I'm really sad and I just can't function. I'm just, today I need to curl up in bed and just to be able to accept that without judging yourself as a loser, a failure, um, you know, whatever you might have to say about it, you know, all of these things in every little moment, just letting it be. I mean, Eckhart Tolle's written books about this. It's just letting it be. And, and, and he rests on a long tradition, doesn't he? Yeah, and he does. And, and I'm just doing it in not so eloquent way. It's my version, but it's to be able to say, um, okay, Okay, and maybe, as I often counsel you know, my clients, is to just be interested. Like, huh, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Like, yesterday I was feeling great. Today I feel like, shit, you know, wow. Right. And, and not freak out about that, not wonder if you're slipping, not mm-hmm. judge yourself about it. not anything. Just go, hmm, that's interesting. That's interesting. And I, just, know that just let those feelings come and go. I've been, uh, for some reason, I've had this um, quote from Elizabeth Gilbert on my mind the last few days when her um, her love died, and um, she'd think, think things like, I'll never love anyone the way I loved, loved her, mm-hmm. and she learned to say in response, I'm willing for that to be true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is Which is another way to sort of accept yourself as you are in the moment. Mm-hmm. not get in resistance right. uh, to it. Right. And I think this does connect with the last thing I wanted to talk with you about today, which you called kind of the woo-woo section oh. of your book. <laughs> woo. <laughs> uh, woo. Uh, it seems to me that I, I've gotten the idea over time because of experiences of my own that um, – mysticism, what we call mysticism or, or spiritual experiences, whatever that is, um, are available when you're not pushing anything away. That's right. Do, is that your perception of it as well? Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, we, we have this phrase that seeing is believing, um, but that actually the reverse is true, that we... Uh, we believe, we see what we believe. So if you're open, if you're just open to all experiences and you don't have the judgments about something can't happen or doesn't exist or isn't true and you're just open, that is, that does, that does open the door, if you will, to having, to having some really amazing experiences. But, mm-hmm. you know, I include this, this part, this third part of my book about what I call the woo-woo. I, I love the woo-woo. Um, and I hid it for a long time because I was afraid of being judged by others, but I'm out of the closet now. And mm-hmm. I talk about a couple of things. One is the mystical experiences, and that is when people have actual um, sightings or um, of the person they lost or they hear them or something, a book shows up where it wasn't before, you know, those kinds of things. Um, Because I have found when I've talked to people or talked to groups that when I begin to open that discussion, it's amazing how many people have something to share and they've just never shared it because they were afraid of being judged or they thought they were crazy or that no one would believe them. 
And it's just, it's much more common than you would think. And so I really wanted to normalize that as well. Right. Um, but the second part of the, the mystical piece isn't about the, the, the kind of interesting and cool apparitions and voices and lamps going on and off, but it is about um, the connection that we can form to the divine, mm. to, the, uh, to the realm that is beyond our five sensory experience and begin to understand that there's so much more to life and to our being than what we usually think, what we see, what we hear, what we touch, that there is something much bigger, a much bigger force. And for example, I would say that that is the same force that for me uh, gave me the introduction of the book. Right. You know, and right. I think we are, my personal belief is that we are that. We are part of that as a wave is part of the ocean. And I think that for me, again, um, and I know for sort of many of my clients and friends, that the experience of loss and grief opens us up to that in a very profound way, because as I mentioned before, that sort of powerful experience really changes our perspective about what's real, what's important. And for those of us who have been blessed by having an experience of knowing that our loved ones are not in fact dead and gone, but very much alive, energetically, and existing, it changes the worldview. It changes your worldview. And when you know that death isn't what uh, so many of us were raised to believe, the end of things, then that's a paradigm shift. Indeed. Uh, I thought, you know, I revisited uh, the things that I didn't talk about right away. There were quite a few profoundly mystical things that happened when my wife died. Mm -hmm. uh, I've talked about them some on the show. Uh, and I didn't refrain from talking about it, honestly, because I thought people would think there was something wrong with me. I'd kind of got, got past that. But what I realized in revisiting it was that those things were very sacred to me. Yeah, I was just thinking that word. And, and um, I didn't want to be... Um, intellectualized yes out of my experience not right. that anyone could have convinced me <laughs> that those things weren't real um, but having come from a place where I where I started out in a very rationalistic kind of agnostic place I knew that I would get argument oh that you must have misinterpreted that couldn't have really happened um it must be just you wish she were you know right. and i i realized i didn't really want to be vulnerable to those kinds of statements at first now it's fine mm -hmm. uh but i wonder if that's part of you know there is the thing where we ourselves might think we're nutty or what's the matter with me or you know but if you're over that you could still not want to um, share those things unless it's very safe. Yes, absolutely. And I do, I agree with you 100%. And I think it's very, it is a sacred experience. 
And when you have it, you know it. It's, it's the farthest thing from imagination or fantasy because I've had plenty of imagination and fantasy wishes, you know, for hearing from, right. you know. Would that, th- uh, would that would, they produced anything. That <laughs> but, you know, but when you have that experience, it's extremely sacred. And, and you, I think it is, as you say, very important to be judicious about when and where and with whom you share it um, not because you're crazy or that you'll be judged because people have judgments, you can't control that, but because it is so sacred and I just don't want it profaned by, by you know, throwing, it's like throwing pearls in the, in the mud, you know, you're just, I'm not going to do that. Um, mm. But I am going to share it and I do share in my book because um, I want people to know that these things are very real and to validate their experiences. Um, and it, that is important because, as I say, that it, these experiences let us know that we're not alone, that they're not gone. And that takes us into, uh, that expands our, our world, that expands our sense of self and who we are and the eternal nature of our souls and and gives us an experience of grace doesn't it it absolutely does and it's very comforting it's very comforting because we live in this human body in this very limited world that's full of troubles and it's so important to know that there's more The same teacher um, used to say, who, who was quite a mystical man, uh, just um, parenthetically, uh, he used to say, I give thanks for help unseen already on the way. And um, that's connected for me with the sense that there is something so much larger than us that um, is beyond understanding just because it's beyond understanding, <laughs> you know, no problem there, but that we can still rely on that grace. Uh, yeah. That's a great comfort to me and sounds like to you as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, it's been a delight to have you back and I hope people you. will go, um, you know, look up your newest book, Grief Girl's Guide. Um, I feel it would be a great comfort to anyone who, who's, doubtful that all of this is okay right (laughs) and gives some really good practical advice about things to try and do so thanks for being here thank you so much cheryl it's been a pleasure it has next week i'll have jeff porter to talk about his memoir planet claire about his grief following the loss of his wife this has been good grief with cheryl jones i look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.